Welcome everybody to episode one, the very first, not the very first because we had the pilot, but episode one of our actual watch uh, of the Never Watchers. My name is Pete Beckett and I'm joined by my uh, never watched, but always interested, Kurt Lewin. Hello. How you doing, pal? Yeah, I'm doing uh, great, thanks. Uh, looking forward to digging into the first watch in Iron Man. Yes, so... Uh, we have both watched Iron Man over the last couple of days, uh, and we're going to talk about it, which was, you know, the first in the uh, newly crowned Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, this was made in 2008, with, um, and I'll go through the cast list for you, which was comprised of Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, Terrence Howard as Colonel Rhodes, uh, Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane, who is the villain of this one. And uh, to round off the uh, the main cast, you've got Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts and John Favreau as um, why can't I ever remember his name? Hogan, that's on. Happy. He's Hogan. a director, isn't he? He is indeed. John Favreau may uh, wrote and directed this film. Uh, he was given the opportunity to do so by uh, by Marvel. Uh, there are some interesting facts to do with that later on. We can go into those a bit more, but. Uh, I have noticed that he does like to self-insert himself into his films quite a lot. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's like the um, the cab guy, isn't he? Well, yeah, he's basically yeah. Tony Stark's um, personal bodyguard, but he's yeah. actually kind of a friend of his as well. He's known mm. him for quite a few years. That uh, I think there is a bit of... Um, there is a bit of a relationship that goes back towards um, Tony's dad, uh, who is mentioned in this film as Howard Stark, but I think that becomes a lot more apparent later on as the as that goes down in the MCU, so we won't touch that for now. We're only, obviously, talk about this film as such. So, yeah. uh, my first question was, and probably the most important one, did you enjoy it? Yes, I, um, I really enjoyed it. Um... Uh, so I think I've mentioned on the on the last podcast that um, my only previous real experience with Marvel films was like the Spider Man films. Yeah. Um, so uh, it reminded me a bit of Spider Man Two, which is my favourite Spider Man film. Okay. Um, the one with uh, Doc Ock in it. Yeah. And Tobey Maguire as Spider Man. And this film reminded me quite a bit of that in terms of, uh, well, basically in how much I enjoyed it. Um, I thought the, the pace was um, really good. Okay. Um, there was always something happening, something to keep you engaged. Yeah. Um, even though we'll go into it a bit more later, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of slightly disappointed with the villain. But I, I often think that a villain is quite hard to do, and I've certainly seen worse uh, examples of, of villains in both superhero films and other films. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, he didn't really... I think it was partly because he was only really introduced as the villain late on in the film. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot to... Well, for me anyway, there wasn't a lot to dig your teeth into why we should hate him so much. Yeah, but what I found was that he's actually quite um 
quite a sadistic and quite manipulative villain. Like he plays uh he plays Tony Stark quite a lot throughout the film. Like he makes him appear like he's his friend and his mentor, his co worker, and then just suddenly switches like once I think Tony figures out that there's something a bit more dodgy going on with the company. Um, yeah, and then obviously that that reveal that he has when he's in his apartment and he just uh, paralyzes him was just sort of it did feel like it come out of nowhere. But if I, I think if you'd have been paying attention through the film, and I think a lot of this is based on the fact that I've watched this on uh, a couple of times, is the fact that I was looking out for certain cues to see, and yeah. you know uh, when he's when he first gets captured in. Um, Afghanistan, I think it is they're portraying there. Um, a lot of the the tech that was obviously kit, uh, captured with Tony is all Stark Industries. Now, mm. with that level of like um, weaponry there, you'd have to think that something was a bit amiss in that respect. So, mm. But I, I don't think that that obviously came through on a first watch, and I didn't notice that on a first watch either. Yeah. So. Yeah, even now you're just saying it. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it kind of rings true. Yeah, there are a couple of like very key things, that, like I think mainly in dialogue that you wouldn't pick up on the first watch, but you would notice it obviously once you've seen it again. Mm. Uh, and it, I think that's one of the good things that this does is that this actually enables you to watch this multiple times. Yeah. Which, so. Um, like my overall enjoyment of the film, uh, the the parts that I really liked in terms of the, like the the overall experience, uh, yeah. I I liked, I really liked all of the characters in it. Like I, I can't really think of a duff one to be honest uh, in terms of main characters anyway. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I was I, th- I particularly liked uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Iron Man. Very charismatic very funny uh, and uh, his um, assistant as well uh, yeah. yeah and it was yeah really good and the guy who played his like the in the army oh like, an army. yeah yeah sorry if i'm forgetting some of these characters no names. no that's <laughs> that's why i'm here i can uh, <laughs> i can refresh your memory on the character names cuz a lot of these have uh, somewhat do make reappearances later on down the line. Yeah. Uh, won't uh, go into who does, of course. Uh, I think, yeah, another problem with the first watch is that with his um, relationship with, uh, sorry, was you say it's General Rhodes? Uh, Colonel, Colonel, Colonel Rhodes. Rhodes. Uh, Rhodes, as they call him. Um, like, so I remember him being at the beginning of the film, uh, with in the Humvees yeah. or the fun, the Funbees, um, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what is his initial relationship with Tony Stark? It's not very well known at that point. Right. Like what his relationship with him is. It's only mm. once the film becomes, uh, once it sort of does the turn that he realizes he wants to become Iron Man. That's when you find out where. Um, where the friendship comes from, and it's through the government contracts that uh, Stark Industries uh, has with the the US Air Force. Mm. Uh, well, just general military contracts, which is one of the yeah. things that you know Obadiah 
does actually state to Tony when he makes that press conference after he comes back from being captured in Afghanistan, where he he says effective immediately, I'm shutting down the weapons division. Um, yeah, that's why well, if Rhodey got very upset by it, and so did Obadiah. Yeah. So if we start looking at the plot now, um, if yeah. so, if we uh, start from and go through the film in like the timeline order. Yeah. Um, so at, at the very beginning, we see Tony demonstrating the Jericho missile in Afghanistan. Uh, yeah. Then he gets into his uh, Humvee, and that there's an explosion, and he gets kidnapped by the terrorists. Yeah, it is a little unusual, though, isn't it? Because it starts by showing him get uh, with the troops in the Humvee. Yeah. And then it gets blown up. And then it goes back to showing him 72 hours before, and then it goes back to that. It's, I, I wasn't sure that that was the right angle to take. I thought on this viewing, personally, I felt they should have just gone with it in, in order, like should have just started with the timeline. But I guess from an artistic speaking like narrative point, it does introduce you very early on into the wisecracking, never takes anything seriously, Tony Stark. Yeah. Know, which... Personally, for me, it wasn't a great choice to to start it in the action scene and then dial it back and explain through narrative who he really is. Because I think we got already a decent enough interpretation of who he is by him talking to the troops. Yeah. So I would have changed that personally. But uh, I, what do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I can see where you're coming from there. Uh, if they had done it, without doing the flashback, I don't think it really would have had taken away much, really. Yeah. Mm, um, I suppose that we knew from that point early on that there was some kind of imminent danger facing Tony, and and we got to sort of run up to that point yeah, with that okay. knowledge. But whether it paid off or not, is up for debate. I don't think, I think it works both ways, really. Uh, I don't think uh, that it's particularly a bad way of doing it or the best way either. Yeah, I agree. It's down to a personal choice of, the, of how you are when it comes to films generally. And to be honest with you, plot, plot um, explained through um, uh, voiceover is not my idea of fun. No. I, I'd much prefer it to, it to be organic and natural, but uh, I can forgive it in this respect because it is the first of their series and they're still, they're sort of learning the ropes in that respect because this, um, this was the first film that was actually funded by Marvel Studios themselves. It started the whole thing. So right. they, they weren't used to making films. They had only um, given licenses out to other companies, like we said before, with Sony and... Um, uh, I believe it was Universal who made this one as well. They they did kind of sign over the rights, but they'd also taken the rights back off of some as well. And this mm. is why they started with Iron Man. It was the I believe it was the only one they had at the time where they had the full licensing to be able to actually yeah. do the film. But they yeah. still they still got Universal involved uh, with producing the movie because they they weren't at the point of that at that time that they could have Marvel Studios as the big studio overseeing this whole thing. They still needed to outsource it in some way. Yeah. So, so 
So then after that happens, we are taken into the cave that Tony is in um, uh, with uh, Yinsa, uh, who's also in there with him. Uh, yeah, Yinsen is the um, the scientist or the, the doctor, sorry, who actually saves Tony's life from the Jericho missile shrapnel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really loved his character and I was disappointed he died, but it made, yeah, a, it made a lot of sense because you didn't... I, I'm going to ask you, did you pick up on the fact straight away that he always knew he was going to die at the end and that's what he actually wanted because of the way he was talking about his family? Uh, no, I didn't pick up on that. So okay. that came as a surprise to me. Yeah, I, it came as a surprise to me the first time I watched it as well because the way he was talking, it was like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to talk to my family again. I'm going to see them again. Mm. And it was like, well, I am going to see my family. They're dead. It was like, whoa, okay. That came yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> it was, yeah, I, I, I really liked his character as well and I, I was also disappointed to see him... Uh, have to sacrifice himself and because normally when films have a character that die very early on mm-hmm. I, I've, I often feel as if I've got no emotional attachment to them so um, it's kind of just like oh whatever um, I'm not really feeling as emotional as the main character is here um, of the person that's dying in their arms mm-hmm. um, but Surprisingly, this was um, probably one of the first films that's ever made me feel sad that a character is is dying at this early point in the film, Yeah, despite it being so early. I did have that same moment when I first watched it as well. And I I will admit, even when I watched this again, I was sort of, I'm expecting this to happen, but it still hits you as a shock because they they do enough to characterise this him so well within mm. the 10-15 minutes that he's actually interacting in screen time with yeah. Tony himself and it's like they are both in a desperate position they are both helping each other but only one of them has an actual goal of getting out of this alive yeah it's, it, it was an odd choice but I, I think it really helps uh, really helps the narrative it makes you feel like that arc that Tony has had with even from the very early points, you can see that he's just generally quite a selfish person. Um, yeah. That that impacted him so heavily to change his ways. Yeah. You know, it's, so, it's great in that respect. Yeah. the uh, This whole sequence was one of the slight criticisms I'd have of the film. Okay. Um, so, so what criticisms do you have generally with it? With this sequence, it was the fact that I just thought it was... I know you've got to suspend your disbelief with films sometimes, but yeah. I just thought it was unrealistic to see that these terrorists that are looking at Tony and Yinsen, um in the cave via the CCTV, mm-hmm. that they have no suspicion whatsoever that they might be building something else yeah, um, that, that is not on the style. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that is one of those uh, sp- suspend disbelief here moments. It's like, yeah, we need something to get the narrative going. And- well, I could, I could get that, like, kind of the angle of the CCTV um, would suggest, like, they could hide behind certain bits of the cave and the furniture in there yeah. to work on stuff they shouldn't be. But I thought probably in reality they're going to be getting checked on 
um, with guards actually physically going in there every so often, sure. even if it's just to take stuff in like food and materials that they need. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that was kind of something that I thought was a bit off. I, I uh, agree. And they even play on that moment later on in the, uh, in that sequence where obviously Tony goes missing on the camera, but he's actually yeah, yeah. like got his back to the camera and he's against that wall. That's the only mm. blind spot there. <laughs> yeah. But, but yet they freak out and yet this has probably been done a fair few times and they've not freaked out at all. It's yeah. it was a bit odd and I didn't actually think about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah. It was yeah, it's kind of one of those things in like yeah, you just got to suspend your disbelief a bit. It's like when you're watching a action film and the, there's like hundreds of bullets falling uh, flying everywhere and the main character never gets hit. Um it's one of them kind of situations. But, yeah. Um, I was happy to let it fly. Yeah, and I, I think they actually showed that that side of things pretty well with the hundreds of bullets flying, that actually he is a beast. You know, the material yeah. that he's made this suit out of would hold up as being aerodynamic, but also very strong because it's used in missiles. So you, yeah. can, you can understand that a gunshot wouldn't take it down. But he, yeah, gets, he he does get shot at point blank range, and it just rebounds and kills this guard. Yeah, <laughs> which I thought yeah. was really weird. I'm very but, fortunate none of those bullets went through the eye holes in his helmet. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's the old stormtrooper aim, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that yeah, that whole uh, escaping sequence was uh, pretty uh, good as well. Yeah. And, um, of the various explosions, um, a good action sequence. Okay. So how did you feel generally about uh, the first reveal of the Mark One suit, like when it finally showed you in full? Um, I thought it was okay. Okay. Um, it didn't blow me away as much as I thought. I thought it was a tad anticlimactic. Okay. I think I might be in the minority there. Like, but like, for example, later on in the film, when we get to see the um, like the first iteration of the the suit as yeah. we know it in media, I thought that was better. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. But yeah, I just thought it was kind of okay. Okay, so um, from a I'd say from a narrative perspective, you are absolutely right. The The suit is not fantastically well made. Um, it's not quite the same as the Mark II or the Mark III that we see in this film. But actually, um, that was the original design that they had back in the 60s in the comics. Right. So it's, a, it's very much a, a nod to, um, to the comic fans for that one. Right, okay. Um, that so, makes sense, yeah, so I felt that the Mark One didn't look great in the film, but then I looked back on it and saw the original design and went, okay, they've done a very good job on the props department on that one. Like, it looks as close as they're ever going to get without their, you know, being um, obvious, like, seams for where it is in it, an actual costume rather than it being, like, you know, a suit that's designed for someone in real life, you know. Yeah. It's, it's one of those odd things. Another one of the, let's suspend the disbelief in this one. Yeah. yeah. 
But I, I felt they, they did quite a good job with the suit itself. Like it was um it had all the all the tricks and the tips basically for uh what was originally in the comics and uh with you know, the fact that he could barely fly. Uh he had a rail gun and, and a missile and that was it. That was literally all he ever had, like back right. in those days. So I think yeah. they captured that pretty well. Yeah. So okay. Uh, we had the cave escape sequence. So um, that moment, like just towards the end of that, where he is, uh, where he's under pressure, he's setting everything on fire, and it looks like he's gonna, he might perish in that moment as well, and then just flies away. What did that have you going? What he can fly? <laughs> um, no, but I think that might be because. Of my knowledge of the col- uh, the comics, I didn't really yeah. know whether that was an original power that he that he had or not. Yeah. So, I, but I knew he could fly in his um, the the other like his later suits. Yeah. Um, so I just assumed that that was always the plan. Yeah. Um, if you notice, he actually says something. I think he says to Yinsen, um this would either pat like when he's talking about the arc reactor in his heart. Oh uh, yeah. He's, he's, he says it can, um, this can power, power your heart for 50 lifetimes or something yeah. incredibly big for 15 minutes. It was yeah. like, okay, you knew sort of there was enough power in this device that he could actually take flight. But yeah, was, I did. I did specifically remember when he did take flight. I do remember thinking back to that very quote. So I just, um, it seemed fine to me based on what him saying that, like, yeah, yeah, it, get, it, it, it provided the reasoning as to why he'd got so much power in the suit. Of course. Yeah. And I think the design of the arc reactor is quite an interesting one as well, but, uh, I think it was an unusual choice because it's obviously something that he, you, you find out about it later on where he has this entire arc reactor powering Stark industries. Mm. And that's on a widespread scale, but he's managed to make this miniaturized version. And <laughs> I'm going to skip forward slightly because there is a line in this film that I absolutely love, and it makes sense for this moment, is where Obadiah is um, talking to his team because he wants the suit being remade in yeah, his yeah. way. And he goes, Tony Stark made this in a cave with a box of scraps. Yeah. And I absolutely love the delivery by Jeff Bridges there. It's fantastic. But it is very much to the point of how can these guys not make this when Tony Stark made this with literally nothing? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it, it was. Oh, that, that scientist guy just says, well, I'm not Tony Stark. A perfect re- rebuttal, I thought. And it's. Uh, yeah. You see Obadiah just literally look at him go, Fair damn enough. it, damn it, you're right. <laughs> you're so right. And it's. Yeah. It was perfect, but it's just like um, it is sort of another one of those. I can't remember the name of the element that they were talking about, but it was like there was such small quantities of it that it, one mess up would have ruined this whole thing. So it is another one of the. I'm gonna suspend the disbelief slightly on this one, but I thought generally it was fine, other than other than just the small little nitpick moments here and there, but. Yeah, that was just. I, I just thought that was funny not to mention. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So after that sequence, um, we see Tony 
um, arrived back in the US yep. and he immediately holds a press conference to, as you referenced earlier, to say that the Stark Industries was no longer going to be manufacturing weapons. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a cool moment. Yeah. Um, especially it- because it caught he didn't want to reveal it to, um, how do you say it? Is it Obadiah? Obadiah. Obadiah. He didn't want. He didn't reveal it to his business partner. Yep. Uh, before beforehand, um, mm-hmm. he just yeah put it out in the press conference. I thought that was a cool moment. Okay, so uh, there is a bit of trivia on this part actually, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, it's to do with the burgers. So he comes back uh, and he's like, I want an American cheeseburger. You know. Um, so apparently, according to Robert Downey Jr.'s interview with Empire Film Magazine in 2003, um, he apparently had a burger that was so disgusting that made him rethink his life and dumped uh, his all the drugs that he had in his car in the ocean. Right. So that was, I think that was why the cheeseburger thing was in there because it was just... It was sort of the nod to Robert Downey Jr.'s um, redemption arc, like we said in the in the first in yeah. episode zero, how he was at that time not well regarded in Hollywood. So I just thought it was a really interesting choice that it was like, right, I'm going to sit on the floor and I'm going to eat cheeseburgers and I'm going to do this relax. But then it was weird because he was like, all right, everyone sit on the floor. And then two minutes later, he's standing behind the podium making this big announcement and then everyone just jumps up and rushes. Yeah. So it was a bit strange, but I, I, I do really like that press conference scene. Yeah, same. Uh, there are a couple of press conference scenes throughout this film and I think they're both done very, very well. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. But I think um, as well, it does definitely uh give you the impression uh on tony that when he's made his mind up about something that's it you know he won't he won't budge he won't move he's very stubborn he's very um i think at this point he's becoming very principled in the fact that he doesn't want anything to do with the war economy anymore yeah exactly yeah definitely it seems like up to that point he seemed a very very much of a playboy Mm -hmm. um Whereas now it, his experience in Afghanistan has humbled him somewhat and he wants to do things to help people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you'll find this a lot with soldiers that come back from war where they have like PTSD and they just they just would go, well, I used to be like pro-military, pro-fighting, like you know, and sort of things like that. But then they come home and they have these moments of PTSD and they just lay their weapons down and they just go, no, I can't do this anymore. So that's what it felt like to me is that he kind of was suffering a PTSD like reaction. Yeah. So I think they've done it really well actually. And it might, it is something that might pop up a bit later on down the timeline as well with, with those instances. So it yeah. might be something to keep your eye on later on in the MCU. Yeah. So then, after that, we it was kind of a just a elongated sequence of him building his his first suit, and Mark II suit, and a prototype, and we get to see him take it for a um, a test flight. I thought it was quite funny the moment where 
is like built the boots um, <laughs> and for the first time, and he it says like ten percent thrust capacity. Yeah, and he just gets flung into the ceiling. That uh, once again, a- once again, made me laugh. No matter how many times I know it's coming, it still makes me laugh. Yeah. And his relationship with the robots and like telling them not to extinguish him, that's also pretty funny. Yeah, I was very surprised at the relationship they had he had with these autonomous beings, but they actually felt more characterized than some of the some of the actual characters in this film. Yeah. I love the bit later on where he's um taking um his Mark Three suit for a test flight mm-hmm. um all around um Malibu and yeah. um, he like lands on the ceiling of his property yeah. and he just falls through the ceiling and lands on top of his, <laughs> his Shelby car yeah. and then the, the ex- and then the robot's there to extinguish him. Yeah, I thought I thought that was great as well. It was it definitely felt like they had a really good chemistry, like despite the fact it was weird robots, yeah. you know. I have to say as well that the um uh the relationship that he has with Jarvis as well, which is his uh, AI companion, is very, very well done and feels very human, despite the fact that he's an AI. Yeah. Um, did you know that that was actually Paul Bettany who did the voice for that? No. Yeah. Right. So uh, he actually apparently recorded all of his lines for Jarvis in two hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He wow. said that it was the easiest paycheck he ever he ever received, <laughs> and also said that he felt like he was um, he was robbing Marvel. <laughs> well, I think Tony's relationships with like his AI and the robots, um, maybe it says something to his character. I'm not sure because I think I would say that he is perhaps he seems more at home around his technology in his lab rather than um, out there being a, um, a bit of a playboy character. Because even though he seems very comfortable around people mm-hmm. um, and, and um, his um, assistant, sorry, what's her name in the film? I know uh, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. But yeah, it's uh, Pepper Potts. Pepper Potts. Um, You'll notice a very weird naming convention with quite a lot of the side characters. Right. He, yeah, he's got a good relationship with her, but like with the, I don't know. It's a difficult one. Mm. He's he's seems very charismatic, but I don't know if that might might be a bit of an act. Maybe that's revealed late in the later films. I'll have to find out. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not going to go too much into that one, but I think you've kind of picked up on something that I think we'll leave there for the moment because he does okay. have he does have a very good relationship with some people, but mm. he has a better relationship, and this is definitely exercised in this film with the AIs. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, um, like, as part of this this whole part of the film where he's building his suit. Mm-hmm. Um, like when is is it ever revealed like when this is set because i know it it, because to me it seemed as though it was set in pretty much the modern day yeah but some of the technology i thought was like way in the future um well this is a weird thing about the marvel cinematic universe is that actually that 
Um, there wasn't actually a timeline, really, on when these events took place until much later on down the line. And you're, right. and it comes towards the end of the run, where you actually do find out, and I don't think this is really a spoiler to say so, but you do find out that a lot of these take place at the same time uh, mm. that these films are actually released. So all of this does actually happen in 2008. Right. Okay. So it's just one of those things that obviously like there is. Good. Yeah, it's just like an alternate. Well, it is. It's an alternate universe, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's a fantastical universe. So you have to sort of just, and I hate to say the word again, you have to suspend the disbelief in some respects because there are things in the Marvel universe, and this has nothing to do with the cinematic universe in as such because one of the characters, Wolverine, has. Obviously, he's, he's an X-Men, but he's part of the Marvel Universe. He has claws made out of adamantium, which is a non-existent element in our, you know, in our world. But obviously, yeah. it's like one of the most impenetrable things in the Marvel in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. So because the thing I liked about this film was it kind of reminded me of like Batman in that there was no real. Um, fantastical or sci-fi element to it like i know the technology was quite far-fetched but it, it didn't seem out of the realms of possibility at some point in the future oh um, I, I agree yeah like, no like this, i know this is gonna change over the coming films but there was no like aliens or monsters in it um so yeah. I, I, I always prefer films that are a bit more grounded in reality so yeah. that was something I liked about this film. Yeah, I would say this one, out of many of the other films, is one of the more grounded in reality. Mm. Um, it does have the fantastical element to it, of course, but uh, this one does definitely feel like a more human um, human film and a more a more character-driven film than uh, some of the other ones. Uh, some of them may have the potential to just be all about the plot. Yeah, and but this one, this one, I felt Mick did a very good job actually in their first offering of offering a very good plot, whilst having some sort of overarching narratives in there, as well as um, being quite grounded. Yeah. So it's, it was it was good in that respect. Yeah. So then after that, we see that um, uh, Stain, who was started. Building a suit of his own, yeah, um, and he was also revealed to be the one who um, called the hit on Tony. Yeah. Um, now, I have to ask you one particular thing. Uh, there is, they mentioned this in the film. I don't know if you know anything about the Ten Rings. No. And also, did you notice as well that one of the flags that they had in the background during? Tony's um, hostage video, there was actually a flag with 10 rings in the background. No, I didn't notice that. Okay, yeah, they teased that very, very early. Um, right. But there is, uh, in the Marvel Universe, in the comics, there is a terrorist organisation by, the, by uh, the name of the 10 rings, which is fronted by someone who I will not mention by name because they become very big player later on down the line. Right. But they are a very recognised um, villain 
Empire against Iron Man. So it was it it definitely was a more of a nod than anything in this film. Right. So we see that well it, 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 Tony's um, left to die because the art reactor in his heart is taken from him. Mm. Uh, and then we see Tony use his old one that um initially he wanted to throw away. Um, but it's given to him as a as a present by um, uh, parts. Yeah, I quite like that moment. I um, I did as well. You know, it was one of those moments where those two are obviously having a disagreement about it, but she just wins anyway. Yeah, <laughs> and he sort of just accepts it and just goes, "Well, it's Pepper. I'll let her off." Yeah, yeah. You know, and it obviously helps to develop this relationship that they have together, where it's like. Okay, they are, you know, employer employee, but there is clearly something more going on. Yeah, and it's already setting the scenes for you wanting something to happen between them. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. So, uh, so yeah, so he gets his old art reactor back in his heart, and um, so all all is well there, and is able to get back in his suit um, and have a bit... Well, we see uh, Obadiah. There was a moment in his office, isn't there, with Potts? Oh, that um, is so well done. I thought, yeah. I thought that whole entire section with her hacking into Stark Industries, sitting in his in Tony's office, having this discussion with Obadiah was was really tense, actually. Because you know he knows, and you know she knows that he knows. Yeah, so, and and you think she's gotten away with it. Um, yeah, and then because she gets the screensaver up on her com- on his computer, and yep. she leaves the office, everything seems fine. Mm. But um, the notification's still on there. <laughs> yeah, she made made a big error on that one. She should have tried to clear that off quickly. Yeah. I think um, it. I think it was pretty apparently he knew when he asked for the newspaper. Yeah. So is that today's today's newspaper? Oh, puzzles. Yeah. It's like yeah, okay. He clearly knows that there's something inside of there, but she's clearly slipped it out of there. Yeah. I've... This. Yeah, we also see her introduced to, like the. Um. <laughs> the secret organization there's some yeah. secret organization i am not i'm not even going to try and say what the uh what the acronym like in full is oh yeah 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 um, that's a bit of a running joke isn't it in yeah because the... they do eventually reveal later on they've shortened it down to shield which is a major player throughout the entire marvel universe not just in yeah. the comics but across the TV landscape yeah. and the film landscape. Yeah, I'm kind of familiar with them through the the show Agents of Shield. Not yeah. watched it, but I've heard of the the show. Yeah, so I, I knew they were something to do with it. Mm, they are very very big players, so you should keep an eye out for them. Also, um, the agent that I had in here, Agent Coulson, is uh, going to come up a few times over the course of the few films. Yeah. But so him and Potts work together to infiltrate Obadiah's um, lab, I suppose. 
Yeah, and this yeah. is... I have one small issue with this, but I'm going to... I'll mention it afterwards. Uh, I will ask you quickly. Did you not find it weird that S.H.I.E.L.D. are going out to try and protect Pepper, but then send her in for the raid? <laughs> yes, that was... <laughs> That's the, I, I, I didn't enjoy that moment. I was just like, what? I, I can understand that she had keycard access, but she could have just given her keycard to anybody. She could have given yeah. this Coulson and he could have had the same principle getting in, except yeah. I think we wanted this uh, faux stake that Tony needs someone to fight for. Yeah. In a sense. It's, I didn't enjoy that. That was the only thing I didn't like, but... Um, yeah, because she, she, if I'm remembering correctly, doesn't she basically stay in there for the climax of the film? She does, yeah. Yeah. And because of her, well, she has to be in there to deactivate something, doesn't she, in order to uh, power down Obadiah's suit? I think so, if I remember rightly. But I think um, we'll get onto that, obviously, with the final final battle that they have between Obadiah and, and Stark himself. Um, but I think she did need to power something down. Oh, no, she, no, she needed to blow the building. She needed to finish off. Uh, the arc reactor, didn't she? The one that's powering yeah. the building. Yeah. Mm. Like, and that was the thing that that explosion was massive. How did she get out in time? Yeah, that was something <laughs> I picked up on. Yeah, there was a big explosion. There was. Well, I, I didn't think she would be able to get out in time, and she would have had severe burns. Oh yeah, definitely. She would have not probably not been in the rest of the cinematic universe if this was real. Yeah. But, <laughs> no. But uh, another one of those, let's suspend the disbelief because we clearly need the plot to go forward. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, that was fine. It's, it did make me laugh watching it again last night. I was like, I'm sure she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> so if we if we talk about the um, final battle with him and Obadiah. Yeah. Um, it was another one of those that I thought was uh, okay. Mm. Uh, Okay. So there was a bit where he they're both flying up into the sky. Yep. And it hasn't been acknowledged by Obadiah the flaw in the technology of the the ice. Yeah, because uh, obviously he doesn't know that Tony has obviously been doing this testing. Yeah. Before he <laughs> comes up against the Mark Three. That was something I was thought was odd earlier in the film where Tony takes his suit for first flight and for I know he's a character that likes to take risks and stuff but it's his first flight and he wants to test his suit to the absolute limit yeah that was and a bit strange goes, yeah he keeps going and going until it's too late really and I thought yeah you'd probably just you probably calm calm down and start um, uh, descending back down before your suit freezes up. Yeah, I I would have thought that he would know about aerodynamics and um, freezing at a certain altitude, considering he builds rockets for a living. Yeah, it, um, it, it was a bit unusual it, for narrative, like for that purpose. But I think that scene was clearly inserted for us to understand the the parameters of the suit itself well yeah well i I saw it as an excuse for 
Obadiah, that, that, that battle in terms of it being a vulnerability to his suit. Yeah. Because it would have, um, we needed to know that information. Um, otherwise, if, if that had happened um, without that information, it, I thought it would, would have been a bit, um, it would have been odd to see his suit freezing up, but Tony's not. Yeah, I agree. Knowledge. But I, I think the one thing that they probably could have done with that then is they could have had a conversation between him and Jarvis after his first test of the Mark II suit, where he gets a little bit too high and then pulls back a bit. And he yeah. goes, Oh, there's an icing like there's gonna be an icing problem on this suit. I need to make a make a better suit or need to yeah. make a suit that is got an alloy in it that obviously doesn't freeze, you know. Uh, yeah. So having the conversation between him and Jarvis saying, okay, what can component can I use to combat the freezing issue might have worked better rather than having this sequence of events where he takes it too high and then he comes turtling back down to the ground and just so happens to reboot the system inches off the ground. And it's like, yeah, maybe <laughs> a little bit unbelievable there, but yeah. I think uh, I do agree. It could have been much better done, and they telegraphed the fact that Obadiah's uh, suit was obviously going to fail in that respect because of it. Yeah. You know, he's this big hulking thing. He's got massive thrusters. Like he's clearly got the same sort of speed that Tony has, despite the fact that his suit is more heavy. Yeah. So you knew there was going to be something to do with the design in some way that was going to let it down. Yeah. But in the end, it. Uh, even though it freezes up, that's because I initially thought that would be that would be the end of him, and he was going to fall to his death. Yeah, um, but no, he they still managed to um, carry on the battle, and that's kind of where I thought it dragged on a little. I agree. Yeah, from that point on, it was just basically um, lots of punching, and uh, yeah. I didn't think I'd find it that interesting to watch, really. Okay, yeah, this is um, this is something that they struggle with in the MCU for quite a while. Um, they, I'm not going to go into too many details about it, but they do have a, a final, we'll call it a final boss issue. Right. You know, so there are certain films that can drag, certain films that can feel like battles are similar. And I think, mm. I think this one started that, and it just it became a problem, eventually. Yeah. So it's kind of a shame that it sort of devolves into this whole, we've got two incredibly powerful things, but we're just gonna punch each other. Yeah. You know, they didn't really show off the capabilities, like the repulsor blast of the, uh, um, of the Mark III suit. You know that incredibly powerful thing that he shows off that pretty much levels nearly half of his workshop he yeah. did, it doesn't even use it and it's mm. really disappointing yeah i'd say a lot of the the film is about other than the opening sequence a lot of the films basically um focusing on his flight yeah i suppose there's a bit in the afghan village actually where he gets to show off some of the other powers of his suit I do admit that is probably one of the best sequences in the film where he goes off to the Afghani village and uh, sh shows the repulsor blasts that, he, blasts that he used and then that 
that cliched moment that was used in nearly every trailer where he fires the missile and just walks away like such a badass. Yeah, yeah. That is cool, but it got played in every trailer, and it's <laughs> like, I wish I hadn't seen that beforehand because it's kind of ruined that. Yeah, but it was and, it was fine. In the um, in the final battle scene, in in the point where we see Obadiah get finished off. I was. I thought they overplayed the part where you see Tony like hanging, um, hanging onto the like yeah window thing, like oh. the girders. Oh, you mean the uh, the skylight itself? Yeah, yeah, that's the word. Um, so he's hanging on the skylight, and I thought they overplayed the fact that uh, Obadiah had lost his like automatic targeting system. Yeah. So he's aiming his guns at um at Tony and he fires it like three times and he's nowhere near. I and I thought <laughs> you like I know that your targeting system is off, but you, you you're aiming your arm at him on should, <laughs> yeah. you, unless you've got the worst eye to like hand to eye coordination in the world. Like <laughs> You're gonna be getting closer. You should be hitting him. It, yeah, I I agree. It was very very stupid how they managed to do that. It's like, okay, I'm three feet away from you. I could point my arm at you. I do not need a guidance system for this at all. But no. clearly, I'm gonna fire three rockets off, and it's gonna miss by a country mile. Yeah, because it like, maybe if he'd done it like the first time and he missed, that's understandable. Yeah, because he doesn't yeah, realise... the three attempts. Yeah, the first time you can put down to, oh, I didn't realise my targeting system was down. You've taken yeah. it out. And he even says it as well. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, you've taken my targeting system out. No worries. It's like, well, clearly there was, because you've missed two other times after that. Yeah, and got not much closer. <laughs> I, think so, they, uh, I think they went further off, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was odd yeah um, and then after that it's pretty much we're at the end aren't we pretty much yeah like we we have that moment where obviously tony falls through mm. through the skylight he probably wouldn't survive that explosion either but hey ho no one's gonna survive but we all survive apart from Obadiah because we need him gone so, yeah that's fine and then we have the uh we have the press conference bit at the end, don't we? And that's sort of wraps the whole thing up. Yeah, that was a another cool moment where he says, "I am Iron Man." I do like the fact that they ended the film on that, actually. Yeah, and then the mu- the um, the music kicks in as well for the credits. That was cool. Yeah, and they used two licensed songs in this film. Obviously, they used "Back in Black" by ACDC and um, "Iron Man" by Black Sabbath. Yeah, and those yeah, two tracks are good, but they're so overplayed in movies generally that I I didn't I didn't enjoy listening to them again. It was oh, cliched, seriously. Right. But I'd, I've not really. I, I'm slightly different, but maybe I haven't heard that many films with them in. Less well, back in black, I have, but I can't really remember Iron Man that much. Fair enough. I mean, I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of uh, Black Sabbath anyway, so I think that might just be down to me personally not enjoying their music as much. Yeah, and uh, to and be fair, you, if you've got if you've got the 
a song called Iron Man by one of the world's um, biggest bands, you're going to have to put it in there. Oh, yeah, of course. It probably cost them half their budget to even get that piece of music. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would agree. Um, the The way they ended the film was perfect. So it was, it was fantastic. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was something to do with that, I think. Let me just have a look, because I'm sure there was uh, there was a bit of trivia for that. I th- oh, that was it. So basically, um, the "I Am Iron Man" line was actually ad libbed by Robert Downey Jr. Oh right. So he ad libbed that moment, and then the um, the producer of the film and the MTU as a whole, Kevin Feige, uh, approved it in the final cut. Mm. So, um, actually, it does come on to another piece of trivia that actually the vast majority of this film is all um, uh, is all improvised. I can see that, and I think it works. I think it does as well. So, apparently, John Favreau didn't have a full script in play, um, mm. which doesn't surprise me, to be honest. If you know anything what Favreau is like when he does his, does scripting, he does leave a lot of wiggle room for his actors to put their own swing and personality onto things. Yeah. So what had happened apparently was that um, uh, Downey Jr. and Bridges were, would sit with Favreau at certain points during the script writing process and come up with good lines that worked for their characters. And then they would go in to film it and there would be something completely different that he felt worked better. Yeah. So they actually had two cameras uh, rolling at the same time so they could get multiple angles of of the shots so they didn't have to keep doing retakes. And it obviously plays into the um, the impromptu nature of the script itself. Mm. So I thought it was interesting. But yeah, I, I agree with you. You can definitely see that a lot of this is does feel unscripted because I think uh, a lot of the back and forth that he has with the AI characters are probably stuff that Downey Jr. all ad-libbed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the, the like, oh yeah, you spray me again, and you're, I'm gonna cut you down to pieces or something like that. Is what he said. Yeah. So yeah, I think it works. And I think it probably, like, I imagine there's a lot of green screen happening in this film, so it probably kind of suits that a little more if it's improvised. Yeah, I would imagine so. I can't imagine a lot of this is practical effects in terms of. Uh, rather than CG than green screened. Because it mm. does feel like a lot of the MTU does have a lot of green screening. Yeah. It, I mean it's a it's a way that works. It does it 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 fills a need for, for filmmakers, but uh, for me personally I've always been more of a fan of a practical effect. Oh same, yeah. But I think yeah, as you say, I think it's done well in this film. It's not um it's not a bad example of CGR by any means. No, I've seen a lot worse. To say our, um, yeah, and and like in in years that have, um, post this film, I've seen worse. Oh yeah, I've seen a lot worse in in films that are past two thousand and eight as well, which makes it very yeah. awkward. Uh, yeah, I think there's only one last thing to mention, which was um, uh, the revolving cameo. So there is a uh, there is a cameo in this film from uh, Stanley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll, you'll you'll know those obviously from the Spider Man movies, but he does this a lot as well across the entire MCU. 
Yeah, that was something that I was already familiar with. I knew that he um, featured in like a short cameo in every single MCU film. Is yeah. it every single one? Or? Uh, everyone until his passing, I believe. I think right, he yeah. filmed a few in a row as well to make sure there were a few there. Um, so this one, he obviously... <laughs> it's like... I, I, um, it's supposed to be Hugh Hefner, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. He, he doesn't... He even I, don't think he, I don't think he says anything, does he? No, he doesn't. This is one of the only ones that he never says anything. But it's yeah. the fact that uh, Tony goes up to him and like, you're right, Hef. And he's like... Yeah. And it's just Stan Lee, and it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was odd. It was odd. <laughs> so, um, okay, so... I think that's going to cover the film, isn't it? In in yeah. terms of the plot and general thoughts about it, you said that you really quite enjoyed it. So if you if you had to put a number rating on it, what would you say? And as a first experience into the MCU, has this made you more positive, or has this made you wonder where they're going to go with this in terms of the overall story? It's definitely made me. Um even more positive and enthusiastic um, about where, where the films are going to go because I found it a very fun watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just lots of fun. And, yeah, it took me back to when I first saw Spider-Man 2. I also thought that was just really fun, even with the dramatic moments in that film. Yeah. Um, so, it's yeah, it's made me even more enthusiastic about what's um, ahead. In terms of a number, I'd probably, I don't know if we're rating it out of five, um, I'd give it uh, four stars. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll go for the, the, the five-star ratings in our ones. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd give it four, um, maybe okay. even like four and a half. Okay. Um, there was, like, the, the, the criticisms I had were more nitpicks rather than anything sure. really bad. Um, and even with those nitpicks, you can understand why they did it that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, um, really, a really positive start to, um, the MCU. Okay. Um, for me personally on the rewatch, I would give this a three and a half out of five. Um, okay. mainly because I just don't know if this holds up for multiple watches because you start to notice more problems. Mm. Um, I found that the second act dragged quite a lot, actually. You know, when he's doing the testing of the Mark II and the Mark III suits. Um, I, although the dialogue was very well done, I just felt like there were certain parts of it that probably could have been trimmed down. Um, and especially the, the final fight with um, Obadiah, like you said, where they're on the rooftop, I felt that whole sequence probably could have been done with. If they would have, ta- if they would have done the whole the whole freezing issue and then he falls and that's it. He's done. And then yeah. I, I think that would have been more impactful because it would have been like, well, Tony's just outsmarted him and that's it. Yeah. Rather yeah. than it, it devolving into a, a fist fight between two mechanical beings. And it's like, yeah. it didn't show the powers off enough really. Whereas that, that flight and the freezing issue showed Tony's smartness, his resilience, his, um, his feats as an engineer 
and the fact that you know he his suit is obviously more advanced, but he's still very incapable as a hero. Yeah. You know, and I felt that would have worked perfectly, but that's like I said, it's nitpicky more than anything, like you said. Yeah. So the the final thing I'd like to just ask about, sure. um, like I've always thought of the MCU as being targeted. Like I know it's for everyone, mm-hmm. but I thought um, like I see loads of kids walking around like supermarkets and stuff with like an Iron Man shirt on or whatever, sure. um, or the Avengers. Um, and there were certain parts in this film, especially in at the very beginning with the ter- when he's kidnapped, mm. um, that I thought would perhaps be a bit scary for kids. Um, mm. So, I, And I wondered what the actual, do you know what the age certificate was on this? Because to me, it came across as maybe a 15 in places. That is a good question, actually, because I'm sure this hit the 12A marker because it doesn't have any swears. Um, no. And I think there's only one use of blood in it as well, which is where Tony gets the shrapnel and heart. Well, the bit that really um, made me think, oh, this might be a bit scary. If, uh, like, I would, I'm sure there's some parents who won't be comfortable with the kids watching this, mm-hmm. was um, when to- there's a bit where Tony gets waterboarded. Um, Oh, yeah, actually, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That but, seemed a little... That was very brief, though. I think it was only like yeah. a flash. Like, yeah, it was, moment. Yeah. I would have said the only thing, maybe, is you remember... Um... Oh, and there's also a sex scene. Was it? With, yeah, with the journalist woman. Oh, God, yeah, that's kind of fully clothed, and that's very oh, yeah, sort yeah. Of played for laughs more than anything, I think. I completely yeah. forgot all about her. <laughs> she pops up a few times in the film. Like he has, she has this fling with Tony just before he goes off to Afghanistan. He then yeah. comes back, and she's like one of the only people questioning him about anything. And then she's yeah. there at the final press conference when he reveals everything. It's like, I think you're here for convenience more than anything. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, there's some stuff in it that could be conceived as maybe being a little bit more mature. Um, yeah. Especially, you know, when he's escaping the cave and he fires that missile that ends up hitting the um, the explosive canister, and you see that yeah. guy later on in the film. His name's Raza in in the film, and he's got the the horrific burn on the side of his face. Yeah, yeah. That could have been conceived to be the same thing. It was like, ooh, that might be a bit graphic for the younger children as well. Yeah. But I think they got away with it. I. I do believe this was a 12 or a 12A in terms of, because obviously we've got listeners probably around the world, like 12 for us is uh, a PG-13 for American audiences. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it skirts the line, really. It's one of those things they can get away with a couple of swear words and a few bit of of violence, but nothing more than that. Yeah. Uh, I think... uh, yeah, I think we'll find that most of the films in the MCU are around a 12A rating when they were released in cinema. Yeah, that would make sense. Mm, it's to try and get okay. as many people in as possible. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to stick a 18 out, are they? <laughs> wow. Imagine a film that had an 18 rating on it. They probably should have done that with this. <laughs> yeah, it would have been it would be quite interesting to see uh, what the different approach would be. 
Well, yeah, that's that sex scene with Christine would last at least three minutes. <laughs> yeah, and and the torture scenes were a bit more, a oh, bit more graphic. Yeah, they would have gone full GTA with the car battery. Oh, <laughs> oh that's, a, that's a throwback. Yeah, that's an awful, awful scene in that game as well. And I'd rather not and, talk about that anymore. And Tony would be effing and Jeffing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is Jeff Bridges a big Lebowski? He is, yes. Right, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, you watched uh, that was, recently oh, as well. So Yeah, yeah, I was watching it and I thought, it wasn't so much what he looked like, it was just, I recognise his voice. Yeah. I think, well, I recognise his voice. And also, I also, uh, I feel so stupid now, but um, uh, Potts, and it's Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah. for the longest time in that film, I was thinking, oh, that's Kirsten Dunst. Because of the, the, the red hair? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I had a moment like that as well, and I went, she looks so unusual with red hair, but for some reason yeah, it seems to be that. a thing that um, a lot of the uh, the uh, female protagonists for the, the antagonistic or the, you know, the, the female part of, the hero, basically the one that's behind the hero, they do tend to have red hair in the Marvel universe. Like Kirsten right. Dunst has it with Mary Jane, you know. Um, mm. She has this with Pepper, and there's a few others like going along down the line in the MCU that also have this thing as well. Right. Interesting. Clearly, the Marvel writers like redheads. <laughs> Can't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> I say no more. Anyway, no. so. Um, I think that's going to wrap it, isn't it? So, yeah. Uh, final final thoughts as such. Um, looking forward to the next one. What what is that going to be? The next one is the Incredible Hulk, which was released in two thousand and nine. So, uh, we'll go more into the cast of that one, but that uh, there is a lot of stuff to do with rights issues, actors and actresses that were in that film who have distanced themselves from that project as well. So it's a, an awkward, awkward second film. So is this one that's not going to be on Disney Plus? Yes, this is the only one that's... Uh, this is one of the very few that aren't on Disney Plus because of a licensing issue. Right. Well, that's uh, podcast over then. I, 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 refuse <laughs> <to>. <laughs> I refuse to pay £3. Yeah. Um, yeah, an incredible I, hole. I, I don't blame you. I'll see if I can find it elsewhere, like if it's on Prime or somewhere like that. But uh, I know it's on Sky Movie, so if you have a Sky subscription, it should be on there. Right. So I, don't, I, was the joke. I, I don't have a problem. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah. We're still getting used to each other's like humour and all that sort of thing, because this is yeah. very new to the both of us. <laughs> but yeah. Well, well. I'm sure it'll be uh, entertaining because I, I have like seen people talk about it on social media like over the years, and I, I get the impression that um, it's not the most um, fondly looked upon film. Mm. Full stop. Well, yeah. it, let alone in the Marvel universe. Um, so, but sometimes those listening to that kind of feedback on a film. Is still quite entertaining. Oh yeah, film. So, yeah. Um, I'll admit that it's actually quite interesting to hear people's take on it. 
I'm coming from this that I've only seen the film once. Yeah. It's my least viewed out of all the films in the MCU. Mm. So I'm I'm interested to see what this is like after about eight years of not seeing it. Yeah. Uh, I'll be I'll be interested to see if they've made now that obviously I've seen the vast majority of the MCU how many themes were in that film that ended up getting carried over or how many of them got left on the uh, on the cutting room floor. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see right. when we come back. Yeah, we'll definitely have to obviously come back to that and we'll go into uh, that rich history of the the licensing issue, the the actors, everything. We'll go into it all next time. Cool. Well, before we go, I'd just like to wish all of our listeners a happy Christmas and New Year. If um, if the, we don't speak before then, yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, happy happy holidays, happy Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, you know, Hanukkah, yeah. whatever you celebrate, you know, happy, ha- make it happy. happy one. Yeah. yeah. So, but. Cool. Yeah, so where can um, where can the listeners find find us and find yourself if they want to get in contact? So yeah, now we have a Twitter account which is called uh, at Neverwatchers, mm-hmm. and if you want to follow me on Twitter, it is angry underscore Kurt, which is K U R T, and you can follow me there for various gaming related musings. And Derby County related musings, <laughs> but I try to I try to keep that down um, somewhat successfully. Only um, somewhat, but, yeah, yeah. But it is pretty much ninety percent uh, gaming and film stuff. Yep. So, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, which is mainly about gaming, but I do have some film takes in there as well. Uh, you can follow me at Pete Beckett One, uh, which is yep. the number one. But that's it's a good follow. It, he, I can be sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, you're definitely a good follow because I've learned a lot about football from you, especially championship oh, right. football. You know, all oh, right. That's I'm good. Not, that's good. Yeah, as a, as a filthy Palace fan, you know, I I can't talk about championship football because we haven't done it for eight years. So <laughs> humble brag. Only humble. <laughs> we were there a long time ago. We were there. We used to be there. But anyway, yeah. that's 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 another one for another podcast. So uh, <laughs> yeah. from from myself, Pete Beckett, and from my awesome co host, Kurt, uh, that's gonna that's gonna do us for episode one, Iron Man. So we will see you back here again for episode two, which is the Incredible Hulk.